Hello and welcome to another episode of This Week at the Movies. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Eric. And today we are wishing you a Merry Christmas. If not, both our words with the movies that we have selected. That's right. It is a special Christmas episode. We will start with a revival of a classic. And then we will turn most of it over to two new takes on A Christmas Carol plus two takes of A Christmas Carol that we like from eras past. Mm-hmm. Eric, are you feeling the holiday spirit this week? I I gotta say, after watching four different adaptations of A Christmas Carol, I, I wasn't feeling it. Uh, then I might have become Scrooge at one point this week. I might have fully tra- transitioned. So, <laughs> I I know there. Well, it's crazy when you look it up. I forget how many versions of A Christmas Carol there are until you start looking at the at the listing and they've done it in almost every different way. I will say one of the new ones we look at this year, I thought tackled it in a clever way, but we will get to that in a minute. First, we are going to to kick things off with the return of little Ralphie only, you know what? He's not so little anymore. That's right. A Christmas Story Christmas. This one dropped a couple weeks ago on HBO Max. It brings Peter Billingsley back as Ralphie as an adult in a very timely and poignant story that takes place in his hometown some 30 years later. Eric, I'll let you kick it off. What did you think of A Christmas Story Christmas? I just realized I can't casually give you a social thumbs up on this because, you know. Anyways. (laughs) Um, I kind of already gave my take on the movie. Um, this, this reminded me, and I wish I could tell, tell you what other, uh, re return to a classic this reminds me of, but there's something quiet and a little bit darker about this, given the spirit of the original, like, you know, he's grown up and he's looking at everything through the eyes of an adult. And I, I kind of, I really more appreciated this than enjoyed it, but I gotta say it was kind of fun and it got me a little bit one time. And that's a special surprise that happens towards the end of the movie, uh, where, yeah, I'm not going to spoil it for anyone who will see it because it was probably my favorite part of it, but there's a very special moment that happens and then special moments keep happening and that's sort of this feels so much more about celebrating another movie than being its own movie and that was uh even in the end credits they use a lot of footage to show hey didn't this shot look a lot like this shot from the original and i it was every 15 seconds or so if you skip forward was another shot that reflected a shot from the original in a way that they were kind of saying like look how sweet of an homage this is but you know there's been a couple of sequels that most people never talk about too to a christmas story a christmas story oh no um and uh the this is the first one i think that he's come back right ralphie's actor yeah i know people are good i i think this is the first pure sequel like you said people are gonna say well there's a christmas story too um Right. This is this this definitely feels like a direct connection to the original with the sort of spirit and heart of the original, but it's not playing like the original because it's grown up. And I got to give it one thumb up for the sincerity. But other than that, 
I it just it, it was it was so reflexive and kind of toned calmly and it just it just it didn't deliver what what I kind of thought it was going to deliver and so maybe my opinion would change uh, on another watch but yeah there are a couple of things I was interested in. I was a little bit thinking to myself do I need to see a sequel to a Christmas story you know especially with a grown-up Ralphie I was on the fence a little bit there was a lot of elements of it being this kind of childlike wonder and things especially with Darren McGavin that made it so special and I thought this movie did a beautiful job of paying tribute to him he has passed away so there was no chance he could be in this film so too have the original author Gene Shepard has passed away and I thought they paid a lot of tribute to that and managed to tie it back into things. Um, I was kind of moved by Peter Billingsley. He doesn't act much anymore. He's a still very involved in films. He's a producer. He's John Favreau's producing partner. He'll pop up here and there in other films. He notably played one of the elves in, in Elf which was a film he kind of produced with him. But I was curious about the return to this world. Likewise, you know, Flick and Schwartz, it was fun to see them. Those guys don't really act anymore, and you can kind of tell. Um, but it was fun to have a return to that world. Um, there was a lot more endearing scenes than I expected. I really enjoyed Aaron Hayes as his wife. Um I thought that worked. And Julie Hegarty, uh, who took over the role of his mother, um, you know, I thought that worked. The kind of fun back and forth between these guys as older guys, it's kind of how you would feel. I'm assuming the the part that was moving for you is a, a return to his childhood bully and how that kind of that relationship flipped. That was a fascinating um, moment later in the film that I thought was emotional. I I honestly I liked this a lot more than I thought. I thought it had good nostalgia and was a fun return while creating a unique story i also gave it a thumbs up i actually realized what it was that i reminded me of but it's weirdly unrelated but it is a christmas movie if you've ever watched harold and kumar's christmas the 3d <laughs> christmas that movie is many shades darker in feel and tone than the others in that that was what it was well, as I mentioned at the top, we are going to be looking at a bunch of versions of A Christmas Carol. Um, you know, the classic story it has been told and retold and told over again many times. Ironically, this year we got two new versions, one very conventional and one very unconventional, and yet they were both musicals. We're going to start with the unconventional one, which is the live-action Spirited that debuted at the end of November on Apple TV+. It stars Will Ferrell as the ghost of Christmas present and kind of shows you the industry of the ghosts of Christmas future, present, and past, and the way they pick a new target each year, spend a year planning, then launch their big plan on Christmas Eve so that they can hopefully make them a better person by Christmas Day and therefore make the world better. He's been doing it a long time, so the ghost of Christmas present decides he wants to tackle his white whale, and that's an ad executive played by Ryan Reynolds. And things don't go exactly according to plan. I'm going to say I watch this one early on a screener. If you read our work at the Music City Drive-In, you already know that I loved it. Uh, Ricky did not love it, but I loved it. I ended up giving it four stars. I thought the the music was really good. Um, my favorite 
my favorite segment is probably the good afternoon. And honestly, when we were watching um, the classic 1951 version, every time they, they got grumpy and said good afternoon, I couldn't help but laugh my backside off just thinking about um, Spirited. I love the interplay between Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell. Um, you got some good work from Octavia Spencer, who's in here, it was a very deep cast. Um, and so, I, you know what? I give it thumbs up. I, I enjoyed it for what it was. And you know what? It, it well well deserved. I gotta say, between Octavia Spencer, Ryan Reynolds, Will Ferrell, and you know some of the work of like the other, everybody in this is putting a lot of effort into taking this new take on a Christmas. And again, there's another surprise in this one that I don't want to spoil for people. But um, Good Afternoon, like you said, I think is probably my favorite. But here's my thing. And this is where I'm going to be a little more pretentious than even normal, like which is, you know, step up. Um, the musical is a form that strongly benefits theater and animation, where are, there's two mediums where you have to reach an audience emotionally that can't look at you up close. And so it makes sense sometimes to pause and ruminate over one idea, emotion, or theme for like three minutes in song that can deliver an emotion you can't get from a close-up. <clears throat> in live action, however, <laughs> there's oftentimes a lot of tripping to me over the emotions that they set up where you have musical numbers that are delivered to punch up moments that already work to deliver the point to me that it's there. So like, for example, Octavia Spencer's earlier number where she, you know, talks about being torn inside with what she's doing with her job. I feel like I felt for her until she sang about it. And that for me is, is the big thing about musicals. And so I had to give it one thumb down to me. Because everywhere I really enjoyed something, there came this big speed bump that I know to other people does not feel like a bump. And for them, you are going to enjoy this. And I would have given it a thumb up. But for me, the flow of this just... And even with some of the musical numbers that are not really musical numbers, there are false starts. Like when uh, he meets Jacob Marley, Ryan Reynolds... You know, and he's that is written for him to intentionally stop the musical number from progressing. It's like, okay, my frustration is already that these things stop forward momentum, and here we are stopping the forward momentum of the thing that stops the forward momentum. And I, who, so I, I am, I definitely believe that there's talent and worth and value to this. It just wasn't for me. So. And, you know, it makes sense here that we would be split because from what I've seen when it, you know, I watched an early screener before it dropped anywhere. You know, I went, I watched it before it even had its limited theatrical run. And, you know, I loved it. It's, it was obviously my, I think it's very much an individual style of humor. Um, but I was surprised when it came out and what I've reflected on is it's been somewhat polarizing. Um, people either were on board or they just weren't. Um, and I think, you know, it's going to depend largely on how you feel about the humor and what they're trying to do and whether or not um, that worked for you. Well, on to our next 
iteration of A Christmas Carol. This one, the Netflix animated version, uh, Scrooge, A Christmas Carol. This one dropped last week on Netflix. Eric, I will let you lead it off. Yeah, there's uh, there's something... <coughs> Apologies. Pollen some... in the air? <laughs> <laughs> Sickness in my week. Um, but yeah, the, the, the in this musical i i this looks like the same animation style as some the this movie called sea beast that netflix released that was by the director of moana and there's something about this that is yeah slightly i'll flash the style because i forgot (laughs) yeah you know there's sometimes a lot of people feel like dreamworks has their own style of animation disney has their own recognizable style and even that stands apart in subtleties from like pixar and this clearly, all of these feel like they could live in the same world. And, but I, I just, for one say, I, I want to say I appreciate that style, wherever it's coming from. But the this is where the musical number comes into me that I can feel a little bit more emotion while they can stay true to that style that's somewhat limiting facially to performances that would come from the actors. I thought Luke Evans was spectacular and I tried not to be biased because for some reason I just involuntarily like Luke Evans a lot in most of the things I see him in. Um, and oh well, anyways, um, yeah, I really you can see his aura through. The yeah, image. and I just really think that this delivered exactly on the flip side of what i said about spirited and while it doesn't have the humor and the originality of spirited the emotions work for me flowing in and out of the musical numbers and it's such a classic story that as long as you hit certain beats correctly it really works and so i'm also giving this one one thumb up there's definitely more impressive spectacles in some ways in other adaptations and there are different takes that lean into different elements of the story but this is one that works. Yeah, and this is definitely a more conventional approach. And like you said, it had a, a strong voice cast. Luke Evans is in it. So is Olivia Coleman. Uh, so is Jesse Buckley. I mean, that's some some pretty impressive lineup. Some of the musical numbers I didn't mind. Um, but in the end, I just really didn't gravitate toward this. I kind of nothinged it. Um which I guess is mean and a little bit unfortunate, but just the the way it ended up going, it was a little, I felt like, okay, I've seen this play. I guess what, what drew me partially dispirited was it was an approach to material I hadn't seen before. Um, that's the same thing that draws me to when I, when I pick my favorite classic version is doing something different. This felt like a pretty conventional approach to the story that they just happened to animate and add a little bit of music. I didn't mind it, but I kind of gave it one, one thumb down. I mean, you can find this version of a Christmas Carol in a whole lot of places. It wasn't terrible. It just, to me, it was kind of forgettable. And that was ultimately, I was like, should I, should I give it one down? That feels mean. And I was like, if you if I wasn't doing the show, I don't know if I would have remembered I watched it because I'm in the middle of all these <laughs> these other things. If I hadn't had to make notes on it, a hundred percent. I again, I can't fall. I can't disagree with all the reasons to do it. Just like Spirited, I can't disagree. So, yep. Well, 
like we said, this is a big week for A Christmas Carol. So before we get out of here, Eric and I wanted to highlight two past versions of this story, of which there are many, many. You can get your Muppet version. You can get your uh, old British version. You can get your seeing it your from other the old British version. <laughs> you can see old it. British version. Yeah, you can get your Guy Pierce really dark version. You can yeah. get the version where Dan Stevens plays the author writing a Christmas Carol version. But uh, Eric, I'm going to let you go first. The version you picked is the 1951 version of a Christmas Carol called Scrooge. Um, if you look on some of the classic artwork, I guess it was originally called a Christmas Carol. Um, yeah which is kind of fascinating. And in fact, IMDb actually still lists it as a Christmas Carol. Mm -hmm. That was what makes it so hard to find. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I I had to do my work. I don't know where you, uh, you might own it because you like it. I had to go onto YouTube. It is free on 4k on YouTube. Yeah. Somebody did some restoration and that is where I watch it. And right there, what you just saw Alistair Sim, that Ebenezer Scrooge is the reason why this one works for me. This is an entry secretly. uh, Also from my co-host of this film, not rated Curtis. Um, He introduced this version to me after I had originally pointed out how surprised I was by this one. After hearing all about the, the dead eyed CG animation of, uh, of, Robert's sorry. Yeah, Robert Zemeckis's, you know, work with Beowulf and all that. I was surprised by it and he was like, "Oh, my favorite is this one." Like this 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 one from 1951 and I was like, "All right." And I watched it and I he just it's it's the one where Scrooge and I I completely understand why they call it Scrooge cuz he's like the star. Like there are many elements at play, and a lot of times the ghosts are co-leads. Like in this, Gary Oldman plays all of them. So Jim Carrey and Gary Oldman are co-stars. But just, he abs- I love, there's something that has to be pulled off really well about when Scrooge wakes up at the end and has to deliver his turnaround. And there's something particularly believable about this performance for me. And I just love it. I just, like, it was really caught off guard, and I really enjoy it. And... It's it's one of those things where you can tell there's a spark of originality that subsequent adaptations try and recapture. And I always appreciate that. Something that feels just a little bit newer, even though it's been done over and over again. Yeah, and I, I really enjoyed Alistair Sim uh, in the, the role. I also thought for 1951, they were pretty creative in the way they did the ghosts and the way they, they filmed that. Um, you know, by 2022 standards, you're like, okay, we can do that. But I, I was, I always like to think about it and evaluate things in the lens of what would have been common practice or would have been, you know, cutting edge at that time. Cause I'm sure there's plenty of people that look at Jurassic Park now and they're like, okay, a dinosaur. But in 1993, when it came out, it was like, holy Moses, he did that. And I thought there were some really creative things. Everyone's familiar with the story. So basically it's either got to do something new and creative or it has to have really strong performance or both to kind of stand out. And I think that's probably what helps 1951 versions stand out. They were creative in the way they tackled it. And you have a strong lead in Alistair Sim. But your favorite 
Yeah, the one the one that I went with is a little more modern, 1988, the Bill Murray classic Scrooge. And in this one, Bill Murray plays a TV executive uh, who gets the good old Scrooge treatment among the ghosts that come to visit him is Carol Kane. Um, so always a good time. This one, a little bit of a different kind of take on it, a little bit of a more uh, comedic take. And like I said, you know, you're familiar with the story. The ones that make it stand out for me are when they do something a little bit different. This one actually directed by Richard Donner, who you don't necessarily think of as doing kind of a Bill Murray comedy. Uh, it has Karen Allen in it. I, I like her. Uh, her role has a lot of fun elements in it. But Bill Murray... He went through a period where he could just sell these concepts. It's the same reason that I love Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day is a story that could that we've seen told many different, you know, everyone has tried to tell that story now, and it often doesn't work because of the repetitiveness. But Bill Murray makes it fun and unique and feel fresh and like he's having a good time. He does that same thing here with Scrooge. You get a TV executive, Frank Cross, who's, who's you know, up in his office on Christmas Eve trying to run a live Charles Dickens, a Christmas story special, which makes it even more hilarious. Who's kind of, you know, he's a quintessential jerk who needs to be taught a lesson. He goes through all of these things, but it's the way Bill Murray reacts to them and the way this story plays out. I've just always enjoyed it. Um, you know, it's in my holiday movie rotation. I don't, I don't always watch a ton of versions of Christmas Carol, but I do throw this one in there because it just consistently makes me laugh. You know what? When they were making a live-action adaptation of A Christmas Carol, I was really worried that this movie was going to be overly self-referential. But it doesn't. And that kind of kicked me over in from like you get to loving it. The makeup effects for the ghosts is spectacular. I had no idea that this movie was as high concept as it was. I thought this was a comedy about Bill Murray being Bill Murray, Bill Murray as a Bill Murray as an ad executive or something like that. And it's funny because this really spirited works pretty well as a follow-up in spirit to this, because I very much see that team of ghosts with the originality on them as being just other employees that have, that, that the followers took over for other than, you know, Will Ferrell 200 years, whatever. So yeah, I uh, this to me was getting to watch Spirited without the musical numbers. So, I, uh, and, you know, fine. that could be part of the reason that I like it. I, I mentioned I like the unconventional takes and I like when you cut it with a little bit of humor. Yeah, it was really, really nice. And I, this was the last one that I watched. So after everything, I was so done with the story of Christmas Carol. <laughs> And, the same and, then, and then when it starts, you're like, oh, my God, they're making a Christmas Carol yeah, yeah. in this movie. I am going to. Oh, this is not. I'm bad. just going to side with Bill Murray because, you know. And the wild um, kind of third act, the way he yeah. takes over a live broadcast. And you're like, oh, man, we're watching oh my guy gosh. in school. And the, the, the opening of the credits where he's directing the audience uh, makes me really wish I'd seen it in the theater. Even if nobody responded to that, I think it would have been fun. Um, yeah, I just really appreciated that as a pick, and thanks for that. Like that, this was that was that's definitely a staple for for a couple years to come. That was new for me. 
I think the lesson, as always, from tonight is no matter uh, what your personal taste is, you can find a version of A Christmas Carol to match it. Um, you know, you want Kermit the Frog? We got that. You want Michael Caine? We got that. You want Dan Stevens writing the story? We got that. You want Will Ferrell? We got that. Bill Murray? Sure. Classic 1950s effects? Sure. Animated version that you can put on for the kids? Okay. We got a couple different ones of those, too. <laughs> yeah. That's true. I, I would even forget about the Robert Zemeckis weird CGI one. <laughs> right. I mean, I guess they will... The thing is, we never get tired of seeing the story probably because uh, people never cease to need a reminder to be better people, whether it's the holidays or not. Or just living in the fantasy that someone would. It just always sort of (laughs) resonates with people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's going to bring our Christmas Carol episode to a close, but never fear. We will be back next week with a very big episode. We'll have a special guest, Ricky Valero, who will be joining us. We are going to be tackling James Cameron's follow-up to Avatar, Avatar Way of the Water. I know Eric is pumped to see it. Ricky already saw it and said that he enjoyed it. I have already purchased my ticket, so I am ready to go. We will also be sharing some more uh, favorite Christmas films. Um, Can't wait to hear what everybody's favorite Christmas comedies and children's specials are. And then I wanted to alert you, we will not have live episode the week of Christmas because both Eric and I have a powerful desire to stay employed and married. Yep. So, but we are recording a special episode with Ricky that will have the three of us going over some of our best of the year. And that is going to release during Christmas week on the Music City Drive-In and on the Drive-In YouTube page. So you can be on the lookout for that. But until next week, Eric, should the people go out and find a version of A Christmas Carol? You going to watch three or four more? I think I think I'm hooked. I think that's that's I'm stuck. I think and I'm not I've not really woken up yet. And at the next strike of the next hour, a new version of a Christmas Carol is going to come on, and I'm going to be watching it. But join me. So <laughs> I hope you enjoy your week watching a Christmas Carol, and we'll see you next week at the movies.